Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Pritchard, and joining me today on the Marriage Champions podcast is Brad Rhodes, founder with his wife, Marilyn, of Grace Marriage, a marriage ministry which works with churches and couples to strengthen marriages. And they're also co-authors of the book, The Grace Marriage, How the Gospel and Intentionality Transform Your Relationship. Thank you for joining me today, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I'm excited to talk to you about your book, uh, about your marriage, your couples program, Grace Marriage, and I'm also fascinated how a lawyer got into uh, left a successful law practice, start up a marriage ministry. But before we start go into those areas, let's talk a little bit about your background. How do you know? I've read your book. You talk about your experience with marriage. Maybe share a little bit of that with our listeners. Well, we had a short courtship we dated about three and a half months got engaged and our eighth month dating anniversary was on our honeymoon so i don't recommend that my daughter abby said mom you kind of rolled the dice with the rest of your life you didn't even really know him <laughs> you know so but so we got married we couldn't imagine having any problems we had such strong emotions toward one another we were so impressed with one another so we really couldn't imagine marriage being difficult but we got married and kind of did it the way the culture does it. So you just get married and you're married. You know, like the the really the pursuit, the courtship, the dating, it just kind of when you get married, that kind of subconsciously stops. So what happened is she moved, started getting her master's in social work. I'm building a new law practice. And within six months, I mean, we were in a terrible spot. And it's like Marilyn's praying, Lord, am I sentenced to a life of this? And I think she's hypersensitive and just too demanding and i mean we were just we were stuck i mean so we got in a bad spot quick but nobody ever told us that you have to really invest in marriage for it to go well you have to make time for it here's how you do it i mean that's one of the problems in culture is like you get married and it's supposed to just go well and the problem with the church is that we would do premarital get them married and it's just supposed to go well and if the church hadn't figured out that that doesn't work by now i mean i don't know i don't know anything i can do to convince them yeah. So what 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 got you unstuck in a sense or got it, it was, turned around? It was a two-step process. Okay. Step one, Marilyn like almost heard the Lord say, Marilyn, I'm enough for you. You know, so like Marilyn came to me and said, Brad, I don't need you. And when she first said that, it really kind of rocked me back. Cause I'm like, you know, where's this going? Is this going? <laughs> south and she said and i want to ask for your forgiveness she goes i've been asking from you what only jesus christ can give me she goes jesus is sufficient for me he's sufficient for my beauty my security my happiness my joy my everything i don't need you for that she said i will love you as my husband and i'll be your godly wife but i'm off your roller coaster so our marriage went from really kind of rocky to stable because Marilyn's like, my hope's in Christ, my hope's secure, my hope's never changing. And it's not Jesus plus Brad, Marilyn can have an okay existence. It's Jesus is enough. So Marilyn became extremely secure and our marriage stable. I still wasn't a good marriage because I'm still going full send all in, trying to build a law practice and not paying her any attention. But then the Lord broke me and the Lord, uh, had an uncle that forced me to go to a marriage conference and I say forced, I mean forced. And, um, I went and I heard love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. And I was asked the question, Brad, tell me how you give up your life for Marilyn. 
I didn't. I played in softball leagues, basketball leagues, volunteered, did the law, but I didn't give up anything. I was doing basically what I wanted to do. Brad, live with your wife in an understanding way. Do you just sit and listen to her heart, get to know her? No, I just, I'm, I'm rude. And it's scripture said, don't be harsh with your wife. And I was sarcastic and harmful. And I mean, the Lord just took me out it from the knees. And um, it may have been when I was saved, but I, I came back to Maryland and said, look, I see why you were crying so much. I see why you're so upset. The only thing that's going to be different is everything. And I, and I just committed that, you know, every week we're going to go on a date. I'm going to prioritize her. I'm not going to put the law of practice ahead of her. And from this point forward, we're going to have a great marriage. And by God's kindness, that's been the case. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let's turn to your book, uh, The Grace Marriage. And uh, you talk a lot about the term grace. How would you define it? What is, uh, what is grace? Grace is the, is the gift from God and which is our only hope. Yeah, it is it is the it is the forgiveness of sins. It is it is is unmerited favor. It's love that's given to us that wasn't deserved. It's ongoing blessing and good that we have no right to. That's just given to us as a free gift because we have a Father in heaven who just chose us and loves us. It's uh, he doesn't choose us and love us because we're so impressive. He doesn't choose and love us because of our performance. He doesn't choose us and love us because of our potential. He just adopted us as sons and just gives us grace, forgiveness, favor, all unmerited. What? Uh, how would a what does a grace marriage look like, and how might that uh, differ from other approaches, maybe in the Christian world even? That's a great question. So think about it. So I, the way I just define grace, okay, how are we called to love one another as we've been loved, right? So, so we're to love one another as we've been loved. So I'm to love Marilyn as Christ has loved me. So I'm to give her the grace and forgiveness and kindness and unmerited favor and love. I'm to give it to her as a free gift of grace, just like God gives it to me. And if you look at Romans 6, 14, it says, Sin will have no dominion, mastery or control over you. Why? Because you're under grace, not law. So struggles and sin and the difficulties of life, they don't have to have control over a marriage if that marriage is under the grace of Jesus. Now, practically speaking, I come home, I'm stressed from work, and I'm distant and cold from Maryland. Maryland pursues me and loves me and gives me kindness. I come home and our five kids have sent Maryland to the edge of the nut house, and she's upset and everything. And, I, and I, I'm calm and I'm kind and I love her. I'm, I'm loving her not because she's treating me well. I'm loving her because because she's my wife. And I told her, I choose you as my wife and I love you till death to us part. She said, I choose you as my husband. I love you to us. And we just give that love to each other as a free gift. See, in a performance-based marriage, it's different. One struggles, doesn't do well. The other takes offense and either gives a consequence or stonewalls. Well, if that's the way you're going to act, Boom, I'm just going to withdraw from you. That scripture in Ecclesiastes, pity the man that falls and has no one to help him up. Well, in most marriages, one falls and struggles and is in a ditch and they're stressed and they're anxious and they're down and it's manifesting with maybe coldness or distance. And the other spouse just gets frustrated, moves away from them. In the grace marriage, we don't say, if you ever get the strength to get out of your ditch and quit being so annoying, I love you. In a grace marriage, is look, I'll pursue you and I'll help you out of the ditch because I love you. Now, we always make it clear, this isn't tolerating abuse, this isn't tolerating infidelity. This is the day-to-day -day struggles that we all have. What, 
so so in a sense you're juxtaposing it to a performance space where i have to it's on me to perform to do well and i expect the same of my spouse and if they don't then there's there's conflict or there's a problem but it's it's almost like it's a different attitude uh, approach is that how you might maybe another way to describe it's, it's, it it's a completely different paradigm in how to view it so i mean just in our marriage for example um you know, used to if if marilyn got over the edge or was struggling you know it just bothered me and i'd naturally kind of distance myself from her because it wasn't very pleasant um um, but now it's like, you know, I think, ooh, my wife's struggling. She's having a hard day, like we all do. She needs me more now than ever. And I try to jump in and pursue and love and be kind. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a change of paradigm. It's from a withdrawal to a pursuit paradigm. It's from just a, it's you do well, I do well, you do bad, I do bad, to, hey, I love you, and I just love you. And I recognize sometimes you do great, sometimes you don't do great. You got good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. But our marriage is stable because it's on the solid rock foundation, the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not unstable because it's not based on the consistency of Brad or Marilyn. One of the things you talk about um, is preparing, being ready or preparing in advance for crises or challenges mm -hmm. or difficulties. Uh, you know, what? what can one do to, to prepare for the unexpected or what sort of practical things, you know, have you implemented or tried to implement in your marriage to, to get ready knowing that maybe down the road, we're going to have some challenges. Well, I got an insight from this. I have a friend of mine who, whose baby died of SIDS. So it's like they have a beautiful young baby. Mom walks in to get him out of, get him out of the crib and he's blue and dead. And, you know, so that's a major life crisis. And I watched them, and they did great in their marriage through that. I mean, they grieved, they sobbed, they had unimaginable grief. But I could tell they were close. They had a camaraderie. They spilled. And I asked him, his name was Justin, I said, how did you have such a growth time in your marriage during such a tragedy? He told me, he said, one, you have to hit the crisis in a good spot. He said, so Rebecca and I, we were connected. We talked daily. We had good communication skills. We dated. So when the crisis occurred, it just brought us closer because we were so close already. He said, now, if you hit crisis in a point of stagnancy or just kind of distance or just a coexistence, it's much more difficult. So one, one, hit the crisis at a point where you're connected. That's why it's so important to take care of your marriage because whose crisis going to hit? Every single human being on this earth. In this world, you will have trouble. So then, the second piece is making sure when the crisis hits, you communicate. Because when you're just when you share your grief, you process your grief with one another, you talk together. It's when couples internalize and isolate, and then they're really struggling. They feel unloved by one another. That's when it can get can get get sideways. And I'd say the third thing is just keep spending time together. Meryl and I went through three years of child health crisis, and we went on a date once a week all three years. Now, what did our dates look like? We'd sit at a restaurant and Marilyn would just start sobbing. She would try to hold it together in front of our kids. And as soon as we pulled away from the kids and sat down at the restaurant, tears would just float out her face. I remember being at Five Guys once. I said, you know, it's Five Guys, Burgers and Cries, you know, because, but we just were committed, you know, we're going to spend time together. When we're doing well, when we're doing poorly, when we're in crisis, when we're in, we are going to invest in marriage, we're going to put time in it. 
And so I would just advise a couple, don't compromise your marital rhythms when you get in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that area of communication because that seems really foundational to almost every area. You know, if you can't communicate, whether it's the area of sexuality or money or kids or whatever, what what are the key problems we run into in the area of marriage or difficulties we have in that area? Wow, it's a I could go a lot of different directions with that question. Um, I'll start with becoming a good listener. Um, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. When somebody's a safe place and they're a really good listener and they, they ask good open-ended questions and they just really love the person and want to know their heart, that's a huge step toward communication. When somebody's the, like the Proverbs says, a fool that loves to share his own opinion, that interjects regularly, that intercepts conversation as opposed to drawing the other person's heart as always trying to share their own. It's a, it's a big barrier because it intercepts the communication at a shallow level. So I'd say one being a good listener, and then you also have to be a good sharer. You know, you, you can't just internalize everything and not share your heart with your spouse and be close to your spouse. And a lot of folks grew up in generations or with families that didn't really share emotion that didn't go into that stuff. That, that, that's me. I, it's unnatural for me to share emotion. I'll talk about the St. Louis Cardinals and the Kentucky Wildcats all day. Well, not the Cardinals this year because they're terrible, but most years. But when you get to more deep stuff, I tend to want to avoid it because it feels unpleasant. But in communication, if I want to be close to Marilyn, I got to give it all to her. I've got to force it out there and say, baby, here's my heart. I'm giving it to you as a gift of grace. I know you want to be close to me. And then the third thing, so one listener, two share, three, cell phone. It is the great obliterator of deep communication because most conversations don't go two, three, four minutes without somebody checking a text or responding to a text. So the communication never has a chance to go deep because it's intercepted. It'd be like you and I talking and every two minutes somebody says, hey, Brad, let me ask you a quick question. We couldn't have a meaningful conversation, but that's what happens in the cell phone through the device. Somebody else is speaking in and interrupting the communication on a consistent basis. So one listener, two share, and three, you battle distractions and you, you, you focus on one another and don't look at a phone. Is that something you've had to work on or is it something that is it a skill one needs to learn or is it easier for some than others, do you think? It's all the above. It's easier for some than others. You know, like ADD, like people like me that mind races all the time. It is a little harder because, you know, check the weather, how the Cardinals do. I wonder what happened in the news. You know, it's like, wow, then I, now I have the ability to respond to all of that stuff. So part of it's individual. It is harder for some than others, but I do feel that almost across the board, it's something you have to battle constantly. You have to battle constantly because the norm has become cellular distraction. Early on with the cell phone, it was rude to look at a text while you're talking to somebody. Now it's normative. Early on, you would stand out if you were scrolling in a room with other people. Now it's no big deal. You know, it's almost like what, what, what's rude and what's harmful to communication has now become so normative that it's become accepted. So you have to become countercultural and say, for me and my house, I'm going to give you 100% of my attention. 
and I'm not going to get on the phone. And when my spouse violates, the temptation is like when Marilyn jumps on the phone while we're hanging out, you know, my temptation, well, she's going too. Well, might as well call so-and-so. So then I do it. You know, the key is saying, you know, I'm going to stay 100% yours. Okay, great. Well, let's let's look at a couple of areas you, you delve into in the book in addition to communication, criticism, things like that. You know, money is always one, sex, uh, sexuality. Uh, are there key points or things you would point out to people? Maybe they tie into the communication thing, but even beyond that, to places, as things, aspects of those issues, which if people get those right, they it'll help improve their... Well, it's, it's live with each other in understanding ways, what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. So, so it's like if your primary goal is to understand the other, it tends to go pretty well. Um, so, hey, so if you say the money deal, you know, I come home and I was like, you know, I really think we need to buy whatever. Well, my tendency, because I'm the, the tight one in our marriage, would be like, we don't need to do that. Bop, 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 you know, just to jump right in and you, you continue to want to buy stuff we don't need and... But, but if I say, well, why do you want to purchase that? Why do you feel that's important? Do you think we could afford it? How do you think that would benefit our family? What is it that makes you really desire that? And I spend a whole lot of time just trying to understand the why behind what she's saying. Then whether or not we end up buying it or not, we tend not to conflict. But, but the problem with most couples, they, 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 they don't do the understanding thing. They just get into an argument and try to come to a solution without either one understanding the other. And then Meryl says, Brad, why are you stressed about finances? Why does it bother you that we were buying this? Why do you feel like it's too much? And then I share, and when, when she shares fully and I understand her fully and I share fully and she understands me fully, generally compromise or solutions, not hard. Where we get off track is when she says something and I instinctively react and share my opinion like that scripture says, the fool shows annoyance at once. A, a fool loves to air his own opinions. On the flip side, even a, even a fool's thought wise if you remain silent. I mean, Maryland jokes, the key to communication would be duct tape. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the area of sexuality? Uh, where does communication come into that area, play into that area? And are there certain things people need to yeah, think about? In, in my view, sex and money are two of the areas that couples have the most difficult time talking about. Um, Money, I think they have trouble talking about it because it generates conflict um, because usually spenders tend to marry savers and people come in with different financial stuff. Now, as the sexuality piece, it's awkward. You know, it's just like for some of us, it wasn't just talked about a lot growing up. And it's just and it's it's awkward and it feels weird, but it's really important to just have open communication that's selfless in nature regarding sexuality. So some will say, well, I'm going to talk about sex, but really the person's just basically trying to talk his spouse into having sex, not really seeking to understand his spouse. So I think in the area of sexuality, if somebody said, just tell us where you are, how do you feel our sex life is? How do you, you know, how do you feel it can improve? You know, how do you feel like I could honor you better, you know, in the bedroom? And then where you really seek to understand the spouse with a view toward bringing Jesus Christ more honor and if the view toward being more selfless, if both parties communicate like that, it'd be huge for breakthrough in communication and the sex life. Mm -hmm. What do, we've talked in a couple of different areas, you know, the old 80-20 rule, that if you do a few things right, it's gonna take you 80% of the 
get you 80% of where you want to go. What would you say are a couple things that if couples really focused or did those were faithful to those would get them not always all the way there, but significantly towards having a healthy, thriving marriage? It's an excellent question. And the first piece I would say, if you really make grace the focus, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to put Marilyn just a state of ongoing grace and forgiveness. So I don't let a fence, I don't let a fence gain any ground or any motivation or any momentum and don't let that train leave the station. That'd be one. In my experience is couples that spend a lot of time together do well, Tom, and those that don't, don't. Uh, I don't, I have not found many couples that say, you know, we spend about five or six hours of undistracted time once a week. We go on a date once a week. We talk each day, but I don't know what happened. We're really struggling. You know, you know what I find is couples that spend a lot of time together do well. Yeah, typically, if a couple would say, I will, we're going to talk 30 minutes every day, undistracted and just share and listen. And then once a week, we're going to break away just the two of us and in three to five hours just hanging out. I find when couples do that, most problems just kind of take care of themselves. The problem with most couples is life comes in, squeezes out the marriage. They get both really busy. They don't have much connection or enjoyment. Then they find themselves sideways with each other. Mm -hmm. You talked about using date nights, uh, weekly, quarterly, annual. Talk about those practices. Well, it's a hard concept recently in a seminar I was listening to called time blocking. You know, time blocking is basically I'm going to spend this time on this thing. So Meryl and I do time blocking in our marriage. We X out time that we're going to spend time together and we hold to it. Now, good rhythms, I think, if you can do them are, you know, you, you block off at least some time daily. You block off a little more significant time weekly. Now, we have a marriage ministry that has a quarterly model, which is four hours to look big picture and plan your quarter together and work together. So you block off some time quarterly. And then for those that can, you know, a quarterly night away or a yearly weekend trip away, if, if a couple has the financial resources or ability to do that, that's beneficial as well. Okay. Well, speak to men. Um, what would you say to men, uh, husbands, if you want to be a better husband and taking responsibility for a grace-filled marriage, what, what are a couple of the things they can do? Maybe it's just like you talk about taking responsibility and making sure some of these things happen, but what would you say to men to focus in on? Well, one, I'd ask your wife, I said, other than Jesus, does anything in my life seem more important to me than you? Mm. You know, I've heard, I think it was Tim Keller that said, if anything comes ahead of your marriage other than Jesus, it'll slowly die. So whether it's ministry, whether it's work, whether it's exercise, whatever, if it, if it slides up ahead of the wife in your priorities from a time investment standpoint and from like what you prioritize, it would start to ask her that question. And then just because you're okay or fine with the marriage doesn't mean it's okay or fine. I find a lot of guys that are just, they're okay with their marriage. They're not unhappy in their marriage. They're not this, but their marriage is anything but attractional. So I would say I'm going to make my wife feel like the most adored, pursued, and loved woman in the world. I'm going to date her once a week. I'm going to do things she enjoys doing. I'm going to lay down my life for her. And I'm going to make it such that if the younger generation watches us be married, 
they can't wait for the day they get to do this thing. Don't just slide into this busy, responsibility-laden life where your marriage gets fatigue leftovers and you end up with this just flat marriage. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because if anything isn't growing, it's dying. Mm -hmm. What about wives? What would you say to wives? Well, I wish Marilyn was here to share that part. But, um, you know, one thing Mar I think Marilyn would say is Jesus is enough and just really lean into the Lord. Just really lean in that there's nothing sweeter than intimacy with Jesus. And there's nothing that makes you feel special more than being with your creator. And so she would say, seek your, seek your security from God, not your marriage or your husband. And, and then two, I think Marilyn would say just the same thing I would tell guys, pursue a good marriage. You know, when, when I've gotten off track and things, and I, if, I, if I hadn't scheduled a date night, Marilyn steps forward and schedules it. She doesn't just go quiet and I can't believe Blaze are not pursuing me. He didn't schedule a date and I does marriage for a living and still didn't do it. Unbelievable. You know, she did. No, she schedules it because she's like, marriage is, our marriage is important. And, and if you're struggling and aren't doing the things you need to do for our marriage, I'll step forward and do it. You know, so it's, it's, it's battle for battle for a good marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, let, let's turn a little bit to uh, grace marriage, the ministry. Um, you left a successful law practice. Uh, how did that transpire? Was it gradual or all of a sudden you saw the light and said, I got to drop my law practice and go into marriage ministry? And, and how has it been? Has it been a pretty big leap? Yeah. Well, first, was it gradual or a sudden thing? It was both. Okay, so Marilyn and I probably 17 years ago started doing premarital and then we started doing groups. And so... We, we gradually got more and more into the marriage space um, not, with no real intention of leaving my profession. Uh, and I was in a coffee shop in Nicaragua on a mission trip. And it, I don't know if it was the Lord or what, it just hit me. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. And then as marriage pastor at our church, I saw he did premarital counseling and crisis counseling. But we had no strategy for the marriage. We didn't disciple and shepherd marriage. Like, okay, we'll get you ready, marry you, throw you into a, terrible culture that has terrible marriage practices and just hope you do well. And I thought that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. So I just wanted to spend the rest of my life getting the church to shepherd and disciple marriages, to stabilize the family for the good of kids, for the good of youth, and the only hope we have for our society, because our society does not have hope until marriage regains traction. Dang, well, that's great. Um, what are the challenges facing churches? Uh, you know, there's a survey out by Barna for a group communio saying that 85% of churches spend zero ministry dollars on marriage. Less well, than a quarter have. Well, the, the well there's, there's a lot of challenges. Um, the frankly challenge is just an indifference to marriage in the church. I mean, I had one church leader in California tell me the church sometimes is a good job talking about how important marriage is, but it's an absolute utter disaster in doing anything practically helpful. You know, so, so, you know, really the challenge is just apathy. I mean, couples aren't going to make a bigger deal of marriage in the home than the church makes of it in church. And if it's not even worthy of a ministry or a ministry dollar, and you're frustrated that people's marriages are falling apart, I mean, just, uh, I mean, think on it. So apathy is a problem. Uh, pastors' marriages are a problem because you have a lot of busy pastors that don't have vibrant marriages, and it's hard to get them to launch marriage ministries and cast a vision they're not even experiencing. 
So if we could have a movement to bring pastors' marriages radically alive, teach them to to realize the fact that having an amazing marriage is a qualification for your ministry, not something you're trying to balance. You have to manage your household well and everything else. And a pastor's wife should have the greatest gig in the church, not the most challenging gig in the church. So pastors, pastors' marriages, church apathy, just, I think, I don't, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain how you could put hundreds of thousand dollars in children and youth put zero in marriage and think that's going to work from a family standpoint. I mean, you're never going to overcome family dysfunction with weekly children and youth programming. Yeah, God will move and you'll have some cool testimonies among children and youth, but ultimately the home they grow up in and that atmosphere, what's primarily formative. And so the challenge is getting churches to play the long game and not just play a game or we'll try to play the game as we're going to have the most attractional children and youth so we can put more butts in the seats. But we're going we're gonna to pour into our marriages so we can long-term have healthy churches and a healthy society. What would you say to, uh, to make the case to a pastor or a church leader about why marriage should be a priority? What, what would you say to them? Well, first, I would say it's without question the most important horizontal relationship we have. You look at Genesis. You look at you look at Christ in the church, husband and wife. You look at Israel. You look, I mean, throughout scripture, the theological richness of marriage. I think Julie Slattery said the the Bible's basically the story of a marriage. Uh, and then if you just look pragmatically, what happens when marriages break down? Children, the youth, what happens financially? What happens emotionally? What happens? What's the wreckage that comes from those things? It's tremendous and tragic. And not to put money, resources, and ministry to prevent that, to help marriages thrive, I can't think of a better word than ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. Because, like one pastor in Atlanta said, if our marriages don't work, nothing we do works. He said, if our marriages don't work, our kids don't work. Our youth don't work. Our finances don't work. He said, why I haven't put ministry resources into the only thing, really the only ministry in our church other than prayer, that if that doesn't work, nothing else works. He said, I can't, I can't explain. Within a week, he was interviewing people as a family, as a marriage pastor. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm curious a little bit, maybe a bit about the program. How maybe give an overview of your your yeah. your program and how you came up with it. How you, how'd you develop it? Yeah, it's one. I don't like calling it a program. It's 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 really an ongoing ministry platform for the church. So we have seven years of curriculum. We just equip the local church with an ongoing marriage ministry. So it's not like. I find that programmatic things typically aren't transformative things because they have a beginning and an end, and then life slowly takes over and you slowly revert back to previous norm. So it, whether it's a conference or whether it's a study, they're good, but there's not an ongoing investment. It, it's a high point where it's, it's kind of, like, I call it like a steroid shot in the butt. You know, you get, you get a big high from it, you feel better, but then all of a sudden life pulls you back in. So what we do is we provide that ongoing ministry platform, everything a church needs from curriculum to video to promotion to promotion schedule, everything they need. Now, it, the concept came from business coaching. So I was when I was in the law practice, I was in strategic coach 
which Dan Sullivan started. It's and their model is once every 90 days, get out of your business and work on your business. So once every 90 days, what's going well, what's not going well, seize on what's going well, address what's not going well, and make sure you're charting out the next 90 days well. So every 90 days, I go back to business coaching. And I'd stop and I'd get out of my law practice and work on my law practice. It helped me with hiring decisions and vision and client experience. And in that quarterly business coaching model, our law practice probably doubled or tripled in five years. And my work week was down to about 35 hours a week. And then it hit me, why wouldn't that work in marriage? What if once every 90 days you got out of your marriage and you worked on your marriage? You planned your 90 days together. You celebrated wins together. You revisited the grace of Christ. You, what issues do we have we need to work through together and make sure they're not getting away from us? And I found if couples would do that every 90 days and follow through with their plan, it would be utterly transformative. So that's that's a little about where it came from. So we have seven, seven years of quarterly guides, which is 28 different quarterly guides that churches can just have an ongoing marriage ministry platform. Now, we, there are other methods of methodology. We can do it once a month. You can do it in small groups. You can do it in Sunday school or Wednesday night. But uh, we have the quarterly, and then we have the monthly. Then we have the small group model. Yeah, just describe, do you think, would you, do you lean towards the quarterly? You've talked about that, but you say you also have the monthly. Is You know, I, I guess I could see with the quarterly, it's maybe more intensive and it maybe but yet if a couple misses it once, or is it something they would do on their own if they can't yeah. make it? Or yeah. I've got a quarterly bias because I've been in quarterly marriage. I've been going to our quarterly marriage sessions since 2012. Uh, and every it's so nice because I get to hear Marilyn tell me, Brett, here's what I don't think is going so well. And then I get to work with her to address it. And she gets to hear, Brad, here's what I don't think we need to address it. So we we leave connected, excited with a plan going forward. It's like we step out of life and just make our marriage a star of the show for four hours, reconnect, get excited, get something. So I have a quarterly bias because it's worked so well for us. Um, and just that four hour period is a long enough period where I really kind of check out everything else and just totally check into Maryland. So that's that. So I'm a, I've got a quarterly bus. Now a lot of people love the monthly. A lot of people love six weeks in the spring, six weeks in the fall. Now you do the quarterly, don't miss. I and mean, we X out those dates and we don't miss it. So usually missing it's a choice. I mean, I mean, barring somebody dying or you know something crazy. I mean, I just I just time block that time out and I just don't schedule over it. It's not that complicated. It's it's just for most marriage only gets time if nothing else comes in over it. And we've got to, we've got to flip that. I tell people schedule your life around your marriage, not your marriage around your life. Mm -hmm. So then you, um, so then you, you like the time that you've got those four hours. What, what happens in those four hours is you say an alternative is a small group. So this isn't a small group meeting for the, what, what happens? I'm, I'm in a group during the four hour session. But what happens in that, those four hours, I'm taught a short session, then I have time to think about and write down how it applies to my context. Then I have structured communication with Marilyn. So she'll share, I'll share, and we'll have real structured communication. Then we'll have some group dynamic, but the goal of the day is all that structured time that just Marilyn and I are talking together through the issues the curriculum brings to our attention. Mm -hmm. 
And how would the small group model work? Is that a different approach? It's a similar approach, but instead of having like six sessions over a four hour period, you only have one or two sessions during an hour and a half period. So it's just delivered in smaller bites, similar curriculum, sim similar model, just delivered in smaller bites at different intervals of time. Would that be still done in the four hour period or is that done over a monthly or weekly? No, it'd be like an hour and a half or so a month or like an hour, hour and a half a week for six straight weeks. Then you take a break and do six weeks, like six weeks in the spring, six weeks in the fall or one time a month. Okay. What is the content? Is it, is it the same every, every quarter session no. or I mean, no. yeah. What, what's, what's it look no. like? Content changes every quarter. There's 28 distinctly separate participant guides. Now we revisit healthy marriage rhythms with different types of lessons and scriptures, but the content changes every quarter. So what, let's say the, for the first year, what would be the, the content that would be covered? Well, you've got gratitude, grace, sex, money, communication, conflict. I mean, over the year we cover basically almost every major marriage issue during that year. And then in succeeding the, 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 the other six years, would it, would you go over, recover that ground, but maybe from a different perspective? Re recover from different perspectives. So like the finance lesson, one might be primarily around budgeting. One might be primarily around saving and the communication. One might be primarily around just spiritual intimacy. Another one might be around conflict resolution. Okay. What, what are you hearing from couples? Do you get feedback on how it's going or is there a way, I guess one question, is there a way to measure how well a couple is impacted by a marriage initiative, whether a program or you talk about yours being more of a platform? Yeah, we sent, yeah, we sent surveys out and got over 600 responses. I think 95% of the couples said our marriage is better and we enjoy each other more because we're in it. And I'd recommend it to a friend or family member, but it's, it's not rocket science. If couples get together, work together and talk, their marriage goes better. And if they don't, they don't. I had a PhD counselor when I was first launching. So you get couples there four hours talking like that. You've already won. <laughs> so he said, they don't do that. They get caught by the day-to-day -day whirlwind and they sprint through life without any real intention to their marriage. So because we've brought intentionality to the marriage, it improves the marriage. What about uh, between the quarterly sessions? What yeah. is it, are they kind of back to their own devices or is there things that they're encouraged to work on or go through? Just the, the latter. We send weekly emails to each individual in Grace Marriage, plus they have access to Grace Marriage at Home, which is a subscription investment model for them to uh, work on their marriage between quarters themselves if they want to. Okay. Uh, well, this is great. Um, well, you've given me lots of information. It, it strikes me that you're kind of covering the space that I think a lot of marriage ministries have wanted to, or, you know, it's, it's not the premarital, which is important or the crisis, but it's the in-between. Uh, exactly. It right. seems like you've got a unique approach. Uh, what would you say, and maybe you've already said this, but what makes you guys unique or distinctive, would you say, compared to other well, one, I just want to say there's a lot of other wonderful things people do, and we're 100% supportive of anything anybody does to help marriages. I think what's distinct about what we do is, one, it's primarily grace-focused. 
And number two, that it's ongoing over a long period of time and not study-based or conference-based. Okay. Well, Brad, in conclusion, um, where can people get more information? Now, I, I see you also, do you offer this to businesses? Is this something that... We, we do. It's, it's, you can go to gracemarriage.com and whether you're a, primarily we work with the churches, that's our primary. But if you have a Christian minded business that wants to offer the subscription model to their employees to encourage them to invest in marriage, we work with businesses as well. Um, if some individuals that just do grace marriage at home, but just go to gracemarriage.com, please reach out. And if you're, if your church does not have a marriage ministry or an effective one, please reach out because the goal is that marriage ministry standard operating procedures in the church in every church that adds is one step closer to that goal. Well, any final thoughts you'd want to leave those listening to our conversation? Just thanks for having me and um, just prioritize your marriage, spend time together, focus on grace and, and make a difference, make a difference in your own home, make a difference in your own church. Thank you so much for being with me today, Brad. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me.